Well, good morning to all of you. It's a little after 11. We have a lot to cover this morning and communion. And uh, it's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. And it's amazing to have enjoyed a hot summer season and now a wet fall season. And hopefully we will have a crunchy, cold, snowy season soon. But in season and out of season, we preach the word of God. Um, That's kind of mixing metaphors, but I'm excited and kind of just amped up to get us into Hebrews chapter 10. And we're building, setting the stage to Hebrews 11. This is a a buildup to understand the theme of faith. Everything in the Christian life is about faith. And it's not faith in faith. We're not believing in ourselves. We're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're believing in the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith alone. And we need to have strong faith. And our faith is kind of like a dimmer switch. Sometimes it's low and then sometimes it turns up and gets stronger. And we kind of undulate if we're all honest with ourselves. But that's why we're here. We're here to get buoyed up and to get emboldened within our faith through the accountability of worship and what we just did and being together. We're all men and women, boys and girls of faith. And I was kind of looking around today as we were singing and thinking, we're all here because of the Lord Jesus. And we're here because we're believers in the Lord Jesus. We hold that in common. And I introduced this this idea a couple weeks ago, the idea that we all have a testimony And our story is one of the most important things that we can possess. It's a story of when we before did not believe we were dead. We were asleep, zombies in our sin, walking around, living for the world and the flesh, following the devil. And then we were awakened. And then now we are presently living in light of the Lord Jesus and that he has saved us. And then we're persevering, running the race as marathon runners all the way to the finish line. And just as we mentioned before, Ron Mapes died and he died suddenly. He was diagnosed and then within a few weeks died. He was diagnosed with cancer and it wasn't probably the cancer that took him, but his weakened immune system. And then suddenly the Lord took him home. And he was, he was a man of faith. He was an excited man of God that I had met a few times when he'd come here to visit. But you can, you can think you're fine physically. And really, we don't know. And then the Lord takes us home. But that's all the journey of faith. And I want to encourage you to know your testimony. Know your before. Know kind of the season of when you were converted. Or, you know, we're converted at a point in time, but we don't always know exactly when. And then live in light of your testimony and communicate that with others. It, it just, you should look for opportunities to do that. You know, our testimony, I said, can be kind of broken down into different stories. I, I've heard different testimonies, about five of them over and over again. One is I was raised in the church, uh, never knew any different but believing in the Lord Jesus. That's a testimony that I think some of you, if I was polling you, say, yeah, I'd I, don't know when I became a Christian, but I know that I'm a Christian. I know I'm believing and have believed. And then some of you would say, you know, I had a dramatic Paul-like conversion, Saul on Damascus Road, and poof, you know, I was living this way and now that way. That's 
a second testimony I hear often, then some of you are like, I was just reading the Bible. Somebody gave me the word of God. And as I was reading the word of God, I hear this one often too. I, it came alive to me. It became convictional. I might've read the Bible before, but now I really am reading the Bible by faith. That's a common testimony that I've heard. And then, you know, you hear of people with deathbed conversions where they're, they're an unbeliever their entire life. And then crisis hits, they're terminal and they believe. And it's, it's irrefutable. They are a believer in the final hour and they go to be with the Lord in glory. And then here's a fifth version. Um, you, you might've thought that you were a Christian and you had some sort of illuminating work where you thought, man, I believed as a little child, but my life did not show that I was a Christian for years and years and years. And then I came to a point where I made my faith my own. I really believed. I, either it was a rededication or it was true conversion, and I don't know. There's, I'm just trying to set you at ease that there are a variety of ways that you can explain your faith. But I'll, I'll tell you this, from God's perspective, there was a point in time where you were dead and he brought you to life. And we all share that common reality as believers. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind. Now I see. Our testimony is, is our secret weapon. It is our bridge to communicate our faith to others. And it is something that you personally grow by remembering and holding fast to. Think about, think about your testimony. We've been talking through Hebrews 10 in terms of people who forget and drift. And then by contrast, people who remember their testimony, who are never getting over the gospel. You should never get over your conversion. No matter what your story is, it should be dramatic to you. It should be living to you to understand that God has brought you to life. Verse 32, look at, Look at this pivot point in Hebrews 10, but recall, that word recall is remember, but remember, don't be someone who's forgetful, who's living a sinful life, letting yourself slip, but recall, recall things. And just to kind of build speed toward our final points um, that'll be at the end of this chapter, let's just recall the points of two weeks ago. Remember your conversion. It says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, remember when you came to life, when reality struck, where all of the facades of, of human existence, where you think you, you should live this Hollywood life and you're trying to measure up to the world in, in self-satisfaction, all of that is blown away when you begin to see, oh, there's a God who made me who I am. I'm made in the image of God. Oh, I'm supposed to care about others instead of just myself. Oh, I'm not just spiraling now. Now I'm living and now I'm enjoying. Life is still hard, but recall the former days when there was a turnaround in your life. It's remembering, it's remembering your life where your life is being built together from that first time that you believed. And then secondly, remember your pain. This is not a health and wealth gospel. This is not something like we just, we, we become saved and so we become rich or we become saved and 
then good things happen to us. No, a lot of times when you become a Christian, the persecution begins. But the persecution as it comes can even be something to remember because it makes life real. You go, okay, that's why this friendship is ending or that's why this friendship is beginning or those are people I want to connect with and these are people that now I want to disconnect with. It's remembering the former days where you are born again and things are happening new for you. Look at this. You endured, verse 32, a hard struggle. The word struggle is the word um, that we get athlete from. And it's in the original language. That's, it's like the word athlete, elacine. And it's the idea that as a Christian, you begin to run. You begin to have purpose like an athletic competition that you are participating in. Things that you're pushing through, sin that you're fighting, sin that you're putting away. And you're conquering and overcoming battles in your life like an athlete. And then thirdly, not only do you remember your conversion, you remember painful things in your life as a new believer, but thirdly, remember your friends. Remember your friends. Look at verse 33. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners, that's the word koinonia, that's the the essence of true friendship. True relationship is koinonia gospel partnership. It's not, it's giving together, it's serving together, it's connecting with people with Christ-like affections where you go, this is real friendship. This is not superficial friendship. This is heart commitment and heart connection on deep levels where you love each other. You're to remember these partners. Do you remember when you first became a Christian and some of the new Christian relationships that began because of that time, because of that conversion? That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, remember the koinonia and with those so treated for you, verse 34, had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. So we talked about relationships, um, and kind of made this hopefully real to you in terms of Paul's relationships and friendships he had in the gospel. He put himself out there. He was willing to be publicly exposed for the gospel. I was reading in Acts 26 about how he was put on stage um, before King Agrippa. Do you remember that story where he's giving his testimony and he's basically sealing his fate one day to be executed for the faith? But he was very winsome and would put himself out there. He had all kinds of relationships and people that would connect with him, but they were connecting with his public exposure. So where Paul went, other people who were connected with him would go as well. Acts 26 verses 19 and following, he was preaching to King Agrippa. And he was talking about being seized. He was being tried for preaching to the gospel, um, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, which was like the CFO viceroy of King Agrippa, said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. That's what it's like being a Christian. You're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. I couldn't resist this. This is just awesome here. Verse 25, Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking speaking true and rational words. 
For the king, he's talking to Agrippa here, for the king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for this has not been done in a corner. In other words, all this gospel dynamic has not been done in hiding. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. I mean, how bold is Paul? Paul is nothing in terms of the, as an official, he's got no rights. He's on He's on trial here. He says, I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? It's amazing. This is the kind of testimony moments that we should remember. We should remember these times when we first witnessed, when we had friends. Um, And we talked about a lot of the friends that Paul had, even when he was in house arrest that connected with him. Onesimus and Aristarchus, Tychicus, Mark. Um, We talked about Jesus called Justice, Epaphras, the pastor of Colossae that he was writing letters to. And he wrote the, the, the book of Colossians, which is a letter to that church. Luke, the Gentile first convert, Demas. Um, who started out as a as an affirmed believer, but was really um, faking and ultimately went the way of the world, Archippus. I mean, just a lot of different ones um, that are relationships that we should know. Well, lastly, um, the last time I preached um, this section, we looked at remembering our joy. Look at verse 34. It's joyfully accepting the persecution, joyfully ex- accepting plundering of property. He says, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Now, this is a bridge into where I want to go this morning. The word abiding is a word I want you to really zero in on this morning. This is, this is a message regarding persevering as a Christian. The whole book of Hebrews is talking about running a marathon race and persevering. And the key to perseverance is remembering your testimony, remembering the pains, remembering the relationships surrounding your testimony, remembering your moments where you have witnessed, remembering, 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 and remembering this joy that you have inside of you, even when you're ripped off for the faith, even when you're done wrong, even when people are abusing you because you're not going to respond like the world does in business, right? In operations or in friendships. When you're done wrong, you're remembering the joy of saying, I don't care. I've got greater possession of heavenly rewards, of an inheritance that's in heaven. I'm a clay pot with the gospel hope inside of me. I've got something better in me and I'm running on that. That's the gasoline in my engine where I have an abiding possession and I'm gonna keep running, abiding. It means to remain or persevere, steadfastness. These are words centering this key word that I love so much in the Bible. It's the word minnow in the original language. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. Do you know that from John 15? Minnow, abide, remain in me. Let me be your life source. And then you'll produce fruit automatically. It'll pop out of you just by clinging to the vine. Steadfastness, keeping going. That's what we're talking about here. It's the same word that we use, that's used for endurance. It's having 
hope in heaven where you have a better possession. You have something more than wealth here on earth. You have Christ who's always speaking to you, always giving you life, always calling you to persevere. And you can taste of heaven now. Now, what's in jeopardy when you're, when you're going down this path? What's in jeopardy? Look at verse 35. There's a ca- real clear caution to the runner, the Christian runner here, who's supposed to run on faith, run on the gospel. Look at verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. That word confidence is a synonym for faith. All of Hebrews 11 is is where we're going to be talking about heroes of the faith who had all kinds of challenges, all kinds of ups and downs. We're going to learn about all these Old Testament characters that are on display through Hebrews 11 who were sinners just like you and me, who lied, who did wrong things, who failed, who stumbled, but who persevered, who kept going. And that's where the writer of Hebrews is saying, Don't throw away your confidence. Be like these marathoners of Hebrews 11. Don't toss it away. The word throw away is a very demonstrative word, ekbalo. You hear that word balo, like ball? Who watched the World Series? Anybody say, it was pretty good. I I watched a little bit of that. Got dry at points, but I mean, it was pretty cool. And I don't get into baseball till I get into baseball. So I was really watching it. And I, I liked that. Um, left fielder Soto, I, I was rooting for the Astros, but anyway, but Soto on the Nationals, he could really throw the ball demonstrably. I mean, it just, just, and that's the same graphic picture of someone who's in the faith, who you think is a Christian, who's running along, and then it looks like they basically just throw it away. Just say, I'm done. Now, when someone throws away their confidence or tosses aside their faith, it really is the final action of a long drift. They've been drifting a long time. And then for all appearances, poof, it looks like they left the faith. We know that no one can ultimately lose salvation. So they can maybe leave the faith for a time, but they'll come back if they're truly saved. Or someone thinks that they're saved And they throw it all in because it's not working for them because they're not truly saved in the first place. Then they're just off track. And you're like, why aren't they at church? Why aren't they around? Where are they? And you call them back. And when someone comes back, they're either truly becoming a Christian for the first time or they were Christian and just straying. It's complicated, but really what we're doing as as Christians is we're acting as bumper rails for each other saying, don't throw away your confidence. You've believed, keep believing, stay on track. You call each other to love and good deeds. We spur each other on to love and good deeds as bumper rails within the church. That's why church is necessary. That's why you should be coming to church. We come to church for each other's sakes. And to keep us on track as we come under the hearing of God's word. This is enduring. It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Faith that keeps going all the way to the end goes to heaven. For you have 
need of endurance. Look at that word. That word endurance is the same minnow word. It's hupa minnow. It means to bear up under. It means to endure under the pressure of life. You keep going. Endurance. It's the same word as abiding. It's the same word as steadfastness. You don't throw away your confidence. You just, you have need of enduring. You have need of this. So that when you've done the will of God, in other words, you've lived the Christian life, you may receive what is promised. This is marathoning. It's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 faith. It's persevering all the way to the finish line to Jesus Christ himself, the author and finisher of our faith. It's vindication. It's what's found here. How important it is, how important is it to run In essence, the author of Hebrews is saying, if you are a committed Christian, then you are a runner. You've signed up for the race. You're in the marathon. It hurts to run. I don't personally physically run very much anymore because of a knee thing, but I, I know what it's like. I do exercise and I know it's like to feel the burn where you're inhaling and exhaling and it hurts. And sometimes I'm in the middle of a competition and I think, man, I want to tap out right now. I want to finish this pain in my chest, but you have to keep going. If you're an athlete signed up for the competition and you're going and the author of Hebrews is saying, don't quit keep enduring, keep running. What does that look like practically in the church? Revelation chapter two gives us an insight into this. This word is used over and over again. It was one of the seven churches that was rebuked and encouraged. This is the church of Ephesus, verse one of Revelation two. To the angel, that would be to the messenger or angelos or pastor at the church of Ephesus, of the church in Ephesus, right? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. This is a vision of Jesus Christ holding the seven churches in his hands, which represents the church at large, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega, who has a laser lock on the churches, holding them accountable. To Ephesus, he says, verse two, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance. That's the word hupomone. I know of this. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil. That word bear is that same minnow word. You can't bear with the evil ones, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are, here's the word, enduring patiently. Here's the word again, and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand for its place, from its place, unless you repent. If you turn out to be a false church or an unbelieving church, remember, this is Ephesus. This is the book of Ephesians. This is that church. This is that letter. This is Timothy who was put by Paul to oversee the church at Ephesus. First and second Timothy were letters written to instruct Timothy on how to shepherd Ephesus. This is that church. They were doing well, but then they had cooled in terms of their love for Christ. They were drifting. They were forgetting about Christ. And he says, I have this against you. You were bearing up so well, but now... 
you need to repent from where you have fallen down. Verse six, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. So you're hating false teaching, which I also hate. Now, verse seven, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in in the paradise of God. Overcoming is so important. It's so important. And I'm not just talking about reading your Bible every day and praying every day. I'm not just talking about that kind of discipline, spiritual discipline. What I'm talking about is examining yourself, saying, where am I in my heart before the Lord Jesus Christ? Where am I today? Am I running or am I kind of drifting? Am I remembering the gospel? Does this matter to me that Jesus died for my sins? Do I care? Then I'm running. You might be running at a slow pace and that's okay, but run. Don't stop. Don't quit. Keep going by the grace of God. James 1 talks about this. Count it all joy, verse 2. My brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. Steadfastness, that's hupamone. It produces this kind of enduring strength. You build spiritual muscles as you trust God and keep going. And for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 12 of James 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Persevering all the way to heaven. All right, all of that was built up to the point that I didn't cover last, last time. Here we go. Hopefully you have a good foundation to hear the rest of this text because it is, it is an important text that ties all of the Bible together to make this point. So we, we've, we've covered so far, remember your conversion, remember your pain, remember your friends, remember your joy. Finally, remember your gospel. This is verses 37 to 39. Remember your gospel. Now, what you should see in your Bibles, if your Bible is laid out like mine or most standard Bibles, is an indentation. And you see a little paragraph here that if you're a Bible student, you know that these verses are actually talking about Old Testament verses and Old Testament times. It's a little bit complicated sometimes when you're searching the scripture out and trying to get the full meaning to look at quotations from the Old Testament and say, what was the significant significance of an author quoting from the Old Testament right here and right now in this text? If you're just reading it through, you might breeze right past it. I would do that typically, just kind of reading Hebrews 10 out of devotions. But we have the privilege to take a few minutes and drill down deeper and understand why did the author of Hebrews to the early church predominantly filled with Jewish Christians, Jewish converts who were raised in the Old Testament, who knew the Old Testament, who would immediately pick up on why the author nestled in two quotations from the Old Testament. You have two Old Testament prophets that are being quoted within the context of one and a half verses. You have Isaiah who's quoted, 
and you have Habakkuk who's quoted, and you could have even a little bit of Haggai that's being quoted there, but we'll leave that aside. I did some Bible study this week. I actually sat with Nathan Schneider, who is an expert in the Old Testament, for an afternoon and kind of unpacked this thing with him. He did my homework for me. So I feel pretty good about where I'm coming from. But it's complicated. This is hard work, but it's fun for me. I hope it will be enjoyable for you. If you look at this first phrase, yet a little while, that's a phrase that's repeated a few times in the Old Testament. But specifically, I think this is picking up on Isaiah's phrase from Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. And then following that, you have Habakkuk, who's a minor prophet. Major and minor prophet just means book length. So it's a major prophet, Isaiah, because it's a long book of the Bible. And Habakkuk, who is a smaller book of the Bible, but an equal prophet. And it's a quote from the New Testament rendering of the prophet Habakkuk. And it's, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. It's taken from Habakkuk chapter two, two prophets. They're both talking about the same thing that's about to happen to their homeland, Judah. Two prophets that are airdropped into that time period, crying out to the Israelites way back when, hundreds of years before the coming of Christ to say, listen, there is coming judgment, but there is hope on the way. Now, these phrases that are cherry-picked out of the Old Testament would have been phrases that would have opened up the whole narrative and the whole storyline to these readers. Now, we might not be as proficient in the Old Testament as these early Christian Jews were, So let me try to unpack some of that for you. But I mean, this is kind of a principle here. Little sound bites from the Old Testament would bring out the whole story. Like for us, something like the only thing we have to fear is what? Fear itself kind of brings up World War II. And we know some history about that, or some of us do. Or ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, JFK, right? We understand that's the same idea here where... Yet a little while. This is a crescendo idea. This is the author of Hebrews saying, run, keep running. Because remember the Israelites, they were going to face something really hard and really difficult. And they had to put their head down and keep going. And guess what? They made it and they came out the other side. That's what the author of Hebrews is doing. So what was going on for them? I would ask you, turn back in your Bibles to Isaiah. Let me just open this up for you. Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah 26. And then look at verse 20. So Isaiah is a prophet who prophesied before two captivities. You have the Assyrian captivity and the Babylonian captivity. The Assyrian captivity happened in 722 BC. And you know, BC is a countdown. So it's 722 year countdown until Christ was to come. So 722 before Christ, but now, now in Isaiah chapter 24 through 27, where you have this section that is pointing and looking towards the judgment of the Babylon, Babylonian captivity that's coming. 
So when you think of Babylon, think of Nebuchadnezzar, think of Daniel, and think of Daniel and the three Hebrew um, boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hanariah, Azariah, and Mishael. They're, they're, that, those are the Hebrew names. They're down in the southern kingdom in Judah at this later point, and Nebuchadnezzar's troops are going to come down and rip them out of Judah. This is, this is where you have, you know, the, the temple is broken down and burned down and everything needs to be rebuilt, right? There, all of that is happening. This is, this is in part what Isaiah is predicting and prophesying, but also Isaiah is not only predicting that, but Isaiah as God's prophet is seeing a greater judgment that's coming, that is still coming for us as Christians. There's going to be a, a judgment that will come in the future, and it will come in, in the form of Jacob's trouble. You have the, you know, seven-year tribulation. You have, you know, that's predicted in Daniel chapter 9. It's called the 70 weeks, but the seven-year tribulation. I mean, all of this is found in Isaiah 24 to 27. It's been called the little apocalypse, Jacob's trouble. So what do you have for encouragement in the middle of this? Look at verse 20. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors. So speaking of the Babylonian captivity that's coming, you need to persevere through this pain that's coming. But also this is for us as a church in the future. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed. What's the encouragement? For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. So for those, even in the future tribulation, if, you know, if, if you're not a believer, you won't be raptured. You'll be in that tribulation period. There's an exhortation to believe and to persevere. This is all of what's applied. So now turn over to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, the minor prophet, chapter two. Habakkuk, okay, so Isaiah was prophesying this during the mid 700 BC period, 750 approximately BC. He's, um, he's predicting Babylonian captivity in the wake of the Northern kingdom already being taken from the Assyrian armies. And now you have Habakkuk, who is even closer to in, in a timeline to the actual Babylonian captivity taking place. Just decades away, Habakkuk is picking up on this same prediction and he too is warning the nation of Israel that something is coming, judgment is coming. He says in chapter two, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. This is all persevering language when you're gonna be taken captive. Keep running, keep believing for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. 
All right, so all of that storyline would have been present in the minds of the readers here as they are understanding that, yes, Christianity is hard. It's hard to be a Christian. For those that were in Italy or in that region, you have Nero who was persecuting Christians, burning them at the stake, doing horrible things. People were in prison during this time for the faith. It's hard. And so the reflection is back on the Israelites when they were taken prison, taken captive. They needed to keep going. Look at what the author of Hebrews does here in verse 37. It says, yet a little while, which is quoting Isaiah, quoting Habakkuk, hang on for a little while. And the coming one. Actually, the New Testament author here is kind of rephrasing that Old Testament quotation in light of Christ. Do you see that? He makes this messianic. He says, it's not just something that's coming. It's just, it's not just God through armies or through rescue that's coming to help you. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, the coming one is your rescue. That's what he's saying. The coming one will come and will not delay. Sounds like Second Peter, a day is this a thousand years, a thousand years is this one day. Listen, when you're going through what you're going through in your life, you need to see it in light of the big picture. Life is hard. We have to survive through trials and tribulations, but Jesus is on your side. And that same rescuer that rescued Israel will rescue you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you believe that? How do you keep going? How do you keep pressing on? Look at verse 38 again. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Don't drift. Don't shrink back. And then verse 39 ends with a massive note of hope. It says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. The word destroyed is basically hell being cast into hell forever. You say, I'm afraid of hell. If you're concerned about going to hell and you claim Christ, that's a good sign. If you are completely, if you're sitting there or under the hearing of my voice and you're completely in an I don't really care frame of mind, that's a very dangerous place to be. If you're nervous and you're going, man, I want to make sure I'm right with God. I'm examining myself. It matters to me where my soul ends up for all of eternity. People matter to me. I, I care about my family, where their souls are in light of all of eternity. That's a good thing. That's, what, that's where the author of Hebrews wants you to be, being concerned to keep running. Perhaps you haven't been running very well as a Christian, but you're concerned about that. That's good. That's what the word of God wants for you. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to be doing in our lives with a text like this. That's the warning. Don't drift. Don't forget. Don't sin willfully and just give up. Keep going. Remember the gospel. Remember your testimony. Keep going. Those are the people who are resting in the gospel, who have faith. The Christian life has always been about faith. The just shall live by faith. Hebrews 11, let me just give you a little preview. We're going to begin this series next week 
on faith. We're going to define faith, the conviction of faith. And I'm going to cast it in light of verse three, which is where it says, by faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God. We're going to open up the difference between evolution and the theory of evolution, the falsehood of evolution and true creation. And listen, it takes saving faith to believe that God created everything from nothing. It takes saving faith to believe that. We're going to hit that next week. We need faith. We need faith that crystallizes why you're here, what you're supposed to be all about from day to day, week to week, all the way to eternity. That's where we're headed.